Yeah, let's do it. So this is uh, this is the positive feedback loop, everybody. Welcome to the show. And we are here. We're going to talk about um, events today. And my name is Ray, co-host, and Stephanie is with me. Hi, everyone. Always glad to be, you know, taking these conversations to a new level. And we don't uh, have Luis know, with us today. Of, so it's just going to be don't the have two Luis of us. With us today. I felt something was off, but I couldn't really tell what it was. I was like, you didn't notice you he know, wasn't we're going here? To- <laughs> Just I, kidding. I noticed, but like, I noticed when I realized our dynamics have changed a little bit. But it's not bad. It's actually just different. And I kind of like it. It's a different <laughs> kind of. Let's get the show started. Positive feedback loop. I was thinking about like what we could talk about, uh, you know, when we think about events and event planning, and just like the idea of having an event and how it's changed over time. So um, it's just I don't know. I was thinking about which well, ways I mean, we can go. Do you go. mean events like big events, small events? I mean, there's like the intimate could Christmas be like, party. It could be it could like, be a ten person event. It could be a ten person event, or a ten thousand, or a hundred thousand event, hundred person thousand event. You know, it's all about it's there's essentially there's essentials that are kind of there the essentials are always in an event no matter how many people it is or no matter where it is no matter what it's about one of my favorite events actually i remember this it was a f- uh, maybe like at least five years ago um in my early 20s i went it was on my birthday actually i took a bus down to washington dc to visit a friend i was with my other friend and we went to this concert. Uh, it was a, you know, electric music concert, and it was cool. It was called, I think it was called Day, Day in Color, or Life in Color. Yeah, and basically there was huge, like, hoses of paint that were spraying the entire audience. And it was like an outdoor event, massive, like, amounts of people. It was probably at least a few thousand people just dancing, music, and, you know, the works like the whole stage thing and everyone was all colored in paint i thought that was really interesting as an event i felt connected because i would look at other people and they also had color on them and i felt like you know uh in a way there was a communication via color a a visual communication via that color i thought that was cool Uh, especially with the music always you know enhancing that uh those feelings and those connections uh, so that was one of my favorite, at least not favorite. I was it was a good event. I remember it. Um, so one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, one of my favorite events, just because it was totally out of the box. I mean, it wasn't totally out of the box, but I feel like it's unconventional. An event I really okay. liked because it was unconventional, but it was a church event where the so in more in mormon in the mormon church there are congregations and each congregation has a bishop but many congregations you know across a region um are called a stake and so we had a stake event where many congregations came together and s-t-a-k-e yep s-t-a-k-e and the stake president actually decided to have a consensus building meeting in which it's he weird had, because it sounds like you're talking about blockchain which is kind of funny you're talking about staking and then you have a consensus being built it's just really interesting i apologize for interrupting <laughs> continue that was a you're side so obsessive blockchain uh, sidebar sidebar so what i found so interesting about the event was that the stake president had a consensus building expert who kind of moderated the meeting so that he could step back so the authority figure could kind of step back and listen and everybody who attended which who were all members of the church uh it was a listening exercise so instead of there being speakers and uh people who performed or spoke in in the meetings like usual it was flipped so that a question was asked which is how can what is not working well in the church or what could be improved? 
And then everyone in the congregation, no matter who they were, could speak up and give an example of what they think they don't like or they like or some sort of feedback for the church. And the stake president, as a principle, sat back and did not say, oh, well, we do it that way because, or, oh, we can't do that because, or he didn't say any of that. He, he just listened. And the moderator, in lieu of him to, to help people be able to talk with somebody, it was kind of a third party in essence, uh, wrote down on the chalkboard uh, at the front of the chapel all of the things people said. Just took down every issue, and if somebody seconded the issue, you know, ta- made a tally mark. But basically, kind of wrote down and all the issues, and they were never addressed. They weren't not never addressed. They were addressed, but they weren't addressed in that meeting, which built a lot of trust with the congregation because they were being listened to, and there were no defenses or offenses. It was a meeting only for the voices or to give voices to everyone in the congregation. Now, this didn't happen because there were big problems or anything. You know, maybe you think, oh, well, well, we do that because we have a PR crisis or because we had something horrible happen. But it was actually a wonderful stake and had amazing programs already and was one of the most active um, communities, the most active stakes in the area. What, and that's what made it so unique is that it was a listening exercise not without the impetus of a problem but with the impetus of we want to make sure that we always are at the top of our game that we're that the community feels listened to and engaged and that we are making things always better even if they're good for now I thought it was one of the most interesting events I've ever attended I think that's really powerful i think you know also very disciplined of the person not to speak or try to make assumptions and try to say like potential solutions but just to listen to everyone hear everybody out first i think that's a really powerful sends a message to the community that hey look we don't know what the solution is we're trying to figure it out all out your participation is crucial and they feel comfortable doing it so i think that's that's awesome that's pretty cool interesting I wasn't sure what they were arguing about, to be honest, but either way, or not arguing, but discussing about, but I think the concept. Yeah. Well, there was no topic, and that was the point, Okay. was that it wasn't like, we've come together to discuss, I want your opinions on this one thing. It was, you can say anything you want that that you you would like us to know. So some people said, you know, I think we should have more programs for children with these um, oh, I see. disabilities, so it's, right? So it's about the organization. So, but somebody else said, I, "I I don't like the carpet in Building X." Oh, like, I see. Literally, you could say anything. I think what was so powerful about that was that instead of saying, "Well, we'd like to improve this one program," if they opened it up, and when you open it up to anything, instead of of just fixing on certain topics, you actually become aware of issues or opportunities that you otherwise would not have known if you had limited the conversation, if you had focused I, it. And that's the benefit of having unfocused conversation. I think feel like people, sometimes they, they, they say, we've got to have a focus, you know, we've got to stay on focus. And there's, but there's so much benefit to being out of focus and to thinking just right. openly. And, and during an event, actually, that's a great example where you can have inspiration to form these unfocused dialogues like you'll have inspiration via a person speaking about a topic and then you'll have an idea and you'll have a question and then you end up realizing a, a, a totally new direction of, for a conversation and it's pretty cool because there's not a lot of commitment at these events either it's like you know you're going to um for a temporary moment of time of your time experiencing the event and then you can do with it what you want. But it's not like a huge commitment either in terms of time. Well, it's very free. It's not like, it's not, it's not like getting, and it's also, yeah, usually free, right? Is that what you said? Yeah, free and, and free, not just cost-wise. I mean free as in you feel free at an event like that. You don't feel like... Yeah, you you don't feel like say you're at work. If you're at work, you have you know 
um, expectations. Maybe you have certain um, politics at work or especially in the government when you have these conversations at events, there's probably a lot of politics that get in the way of forming new and more innovative ideas because there's lots of traditional habits that are just really, really difficult to shake away. So when you think of an event, what are the what are the essentials that make something a quote unquote event? Well, I like to think of it as a dialogue, at least of multiple individuals. It's it can't. Can you have an event by yourself? I guess that you can. But let's think more broadly. Um, usually, it has something to do with spending time in a specific enclosed area. That could be one way you can have an Does event. Does it have to be enclosed? Another, <laughs> It doesn't have to be enclosed. It could be outside. And it doesn't have to be like outside. It could be in a tent. It could be a large tent, small tent. Wait, but you're um, saying so a Facebook Live video okay. couldn't be an event? You're saying it has to be geographically limited? No, we're going to get to that part. So there's going to be a whole like transition into the digital sort of events. The whole concept of... So you have an agenda here, the- okay. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's start slowly, you know? Let's uh, understand... All right, so people um, spending time together. How we've changed over time about what an event is to us. I yeah. think that's like kind of the way I want to, you know what I'm saying? I think um, today an event can mean a webinar. It could mean a digital conference where you see um, different presentations given at different times. What's interesting about digital events is that you can watch it later on. As opposed to a live event, you can only watch it when you're there in live. I think there's going to be a lot of intersections going on as VR becomes more popular. So it's going to be interesting, very interesting to see how how much more common watching live things will be uh, if you have VR because it'll feel like you're there and making a world of a difference, I think. We'll see. Because you are technically, like the you're looking through a window into a different place. Right. And if camera goes 360... And as the quality and resolution increases, you're just – you almost can't tell the difference. But that's just visually. Obviously, feeling and smelling, there's going to be different things. So that's beyond the point. But I consider that event. What Facebook has done with the Oculus is that you can hold events within your VR headset. Right, I don't with think a community it's really that- who may be completely right. different places. I mean, one limitation to that, I think that we've gotten past the limitation of geolocation and we've gotten past the limitation of even attending event at the same time. Like you said, there are digital conferences where I can engage with people, uh, put out a message, you know, at 3 a.m. and then at 6 p.m. different people reply. And so you can have this experiencing of the event at different times. But I think one thing we haven't overcome is learning how to optimize an event for people who uh, otherwise can't communicate with each other. So events where you have good enough translation. I've been to events where they have a translator, so you may have a headset on if you're at the event live. Or if you're online, maybe there's a a ticker tape kind of deal, a closed captioning that, that translates what the speaker's saying. But that's like the extent to which people from different language bases can actually experience an event together. I wonder if we'll ever get to the point where it's like VR, where VR almost makes you feel like you can all be in the same location together even when you're not. It's It feels very real to some degree. Uh, you can interact. Maybe you even uh, gaming is this way where you have kind of these uh, avatars that engage with each other. But language barriers haven't been... Well, you have like the the Google um, Translate app and that works quite well. And I think there are features where you can have it automatically translate sound uh, or language. And also uh, visually they've done really good. You could just put a picture or put your camera up and it'll immediately translate whatever's being on you know the camera whatever it's photographing directly into its you know whatever language you want which is kind of interesting um sign language is actually i think in a thing that artificial intelligence can use Mm -hmm. um visual visual visually to help it instead of like sound because when we talk it's like how our mouths are moving but i think sign language can add some additional um you know for everyone can 
understand each other in the future. It's great. But let's get back a little bit. I think we went too far ahead of here. So we're talking about events, but we didn't really discuss what kind of events. Because when we say events, that can be anything. You know, you know, um, a concert. I, you know, the the no, but even like smaller, you can say a community party. events, <laughs> a Christmas party. You know, breakfast can be an event if you go. So you can have conferences, as you said, and you can have meeting halls. There's just a lots of potential. But I kind of want to think about the temporal ideas of, a, of an event, the event planning part. So I was thinking about how you need a vision to come up with an event. Let's say you're planning a 300-person conference and you have an idea of how you want the day to be planned out and where you want people to be and what kind of conversations you expect them to have, what kind of visuals and auditory you know, stimuli you're going to provide to these people. You're going to have presentations. Are you going to have some kind of speeches? There's lots of ways to go. But ideally, you have a vision. It's like not clear. And what's interesting to me is the earlier you start to plan, the less clear the vision could be. You know, because as you approach the the day it's going to go live, like the actual day of production, it's you have a pretty clear idea of how it's going to go. You've already talked to the people you need to. Everything's planned out. You have the foods, you know, picked out and um, all the workflow of the day has been planned. Then there's less crazy possibilities or less, you know, there's so many iterations of scenarios when you start um, that could arise. But, you know, the earlier, earlier that you do plan, the more scenarios are possible. What's interesting about uh, what you said is that you're planning ahead some things that seem to be common across all events. Like one thing you mentioned was food, for example. Like, yeah, uh, you did mention preparing for almost like what could happen, or you know, for those yeah. contingencies. But food, food is not mandatory. Is right? interesting though because no matter what you, event you go to, there often tends to be food. And this kind of gets to events as limited by human biology. Like people cannot stay awake Ooh, for a certain amount yeah, of time. Remember we, we talked about how we wanted to do a 24-hour podcast episode, which may happen someday. But I events... Think we should definitely do that sooner than later. <laughs> I, know you, I know you're too, super passionate about this idea. But events are limited by human biology. We can't stay awake f- more than a certain amount of time. So if you, we want an event to have a certain amount of content that cannot be cannot happen, you know, within eight hours, let's say, then it becomes a two day event. And the same thing goes for food. Uh, I remember attending PTC's Live Works conference in Boston, and how at regular intervals they had snacks and drinks and dinner and lunch and breakfast and water right. everywhere. And it was just yeah. this idea that if they want you to stay at the event and keep uh, kind of experiencing the beauty of the event, the stimuli, the content, the branding that they have there, the ads that they have there, they have to make sure that you are comfortable biologically. You have the food you need, that you have access to bathrooms, that you have a place to sit and rest, that you have all of these things that, that, just the human body needs that we yeah, still but plan also, around those things. There, there are also events that can go on um, that limit those things. Actually, like some kind of like if you go camping, for example, you have to, um, you know, at your event if it's camping for a few days, let's say, and you'd have to bring your own food and stuff. So there's scarcity like yeah. that um, instead of abundance. Right. We're used to like this abundance of food extra sandwiches who wants a pie of pizza on their way out kind of deal um at least that's you know you're going to some pretty I've cool seen, but, events you know, if they're giving you, you know, <laughs> pizza boxes on the way enough, out i don't know i think not enough people showed up to those events for <laughs> possibly that's more like it uh but it's okay uh the point is though like you're right food is important but it's also not essential i think for the congregation of people to exchange ideas i think that's what an event is I, I think that's I would challenge ideas. That. I would challenge that because I've well, been well, to think an about event. it this way: an idea. So let's say you're going to a concert. I think a concert is an event. Yeah, that's Where's the exchange of idea? Okay, 
or even a sports game, there is an exchange of idea. The idea is more subtle, for example, at a football game. And, you know, at a concert, the message is quite clear, actually. The idea is usually the artist projecting an idea, and then the reaction of the audience, you know, experiencing that message in in whatever way that they do. Uh, and then sharing it amongst the crowd, sort of. So, like, and the applause that's the is so the sort of communication. Right, that, yeah, good that, point, good point, like applause. The, you're saying that there's some feedback. It doesn't have to be verbal. It doesn't have to be a message. It doesn't have to be, you know, feedback, critical feedback. It could just be a feedback loop, haha, of applause, of cheering, of booing, of silence, whatever it is, but there's still two-way communication without you realizing it. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I think so. More than two-way. There's like many-way you know, conversations. Yeah, because people in the event are engaging with each other in some way as well. And there's well, actually, sort of... I think there's been changes in how that works. Like when you go to a concert that has thousands of people, um, do you normally like talk to every single person? I mean, mm-hmm. you might talk to a bunch of like groups of people. You might not even a- engage with the person next to you. Like you might go to a yeah. concert and be with your friend and that's the only person you actually engage with at all. You might not even make eye contact with the person sitting in the chair right next to you, depending on the I concert. think that's I think those are missed opportunities. I feel like yeah. events events are um, something we shouldn't take for granted because it's c- kind of a, a freedom that we have to share this time with people. But anyways, let's not get philosophical here. Um, because why not? <laughs> I mean, I guess Luis ain't here so we can get philosophical as hell. That's that's one thing we like about Luis. He's the pragmatist. He brings us that's back true. down and says, "Wait a minute." No, but he actually has let's really really uh, He's got some solid philosophy like foundations and yeah, he, he understands does. the discipline very well too, so um, I just like to engage in it in my, you know, it's, it's also very rewarding for me. But so we're thinking about how, what are we talking about, Steph? I kind of lost track. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we've talked about what an event is, kind of the critical aspects of an event or how it usually plays out. And we've gotten into the inklings of what events could be like in the future. So I wonder if we could dig deeper into How do we get past the event as people know it today? And when I say that, I mean, we did the NBA, for example. There are a lot of events you go to and that you actually plan uh, when you're in the NBA program. And one thing I realized is that all events were looking the same. It was either three or four people on a panel discussion, or it was a keynote speaker, or it was some sort of workshop or training. And, you know, it was always the same format. It was always the same expectations of the of the audience. And nobody really broke the mold past that. And I started getting frustrated with this, which is why uh, my motto in our uh, in the Boston University Graduate Entrepreneurship and Innovation Club, our motto was basically to to create events that get completely outside the box. And so we thought of ways that people can vote and that the audience can create content at the event and that, you know, there's some sort of uh, changing interaction, interactivity. And what's interesting about this is marketers, you know, my field is marketing, digital marketing, and marketers have been pouring a lot more of their marketing budget, taking it out of traditional marketing and advertising and pouring it into experiential marketing, meaning in they are creating events Events used to be the product, like pay to attend our conference, you know. But now events are actually a marketing channel and that they bring customers in for an experience and that's part of the marketing. Well, that's that's some types of events, right? You have – I mean, I guess you're right. There's some level of marketing in all most professionally uh, produced events. But – if you have like a conference that's like student run, for example, you have like sponsors, there's like a level of marketing, but it's not like to the sophistication of, you know, Red, you know, Fenway Stadium or something, you know, somewhere where there's like 
there's like literally data collected everywhere. You have all the food, people being served, every ticket, every person that bought their ticket, who's going, the cameras of all the people and all that. Well, that's exactly video. why marketers are using experiential marketing. Because if you can get a ton of consumers into something where you need data, you you get you provide an event where you can gather so much data, which can help either the sale of a product or the, you know, the development of a product yes. even development like <laughs> the, the development production of, of one and that's Depending open innovation on that's that's you know in one part of open innovation you have people you know creating uh, the product with you the other one is you're gathering data without them even directly involved no. yeah, what's interesting is um, we're helping to produce something yet we're paying for that as well it's very interesting how that economics turns out um, and I think there's becoming a more of a consciousness about that too. And I think people are starting to be more aware that their data is valuable and there will probably be some ways to protect that data, your personal data, um, but still have a way to make it usable. Because right now we need to have Google and Gmail and uh, log into Facebook and all that jazz because Without it, we don't get those, you know, those critical elements of interaction. You know, we need to send emails. Um, there's kind of no other good way. But if you can imagine a decentralized platform. Anyways, again, off topic. This is when Lu this is where Luis would like like kick it in. You know, I kind of I kind of miss. <laughs> is uh, he we'll the one that like like brings episode. you back to the focus? See, that's, that's yeah, why he's he so does. critical. I appreciate him. <laughs> it's great. I think well, it's uh, helpful. Here's. This is actually related to running an event because yeah. events have a focus. They have a purpose for being. Uh, I don't think that's true of all events in the universe, but usually when someone plans an event, yes. they have a purpose to it. And so what happens when you have a big enough event and it maybe it's decentralized to a point that there are some breakaways, that there are enough people let's say at an event that turn the event into something it wasn't and how does that work but it does not so i think you're saying that it could turn it into something that it wasn't well that's always going to happen because it's always dynamically changing all the time i you know so it was never one thing it was like a you know a, a bunch of things that we're slowly changing all the time. Like I'm talking about the people who are inside versus outside. Um, just like the, you know, not everyone shows up at an event at the same time. Not everyone leaves at the same time. Um, but there's like certain metrics that do exist. You know, like people leave like this early. There's like kind of these things you can measure. So there's a lack of control. That's what you're saying by the. Which is okay because I think the control and that's okay. I think. If you do implement too much control, it becomes like it's not an event anymore. It's, um, I mean, you do have to be considerate of time. So that's that's the one constraint that we all as human beings must abide by. And that's the one domain that um, we can't overcome at this moment with technology. So time is still there. But I think communication can be improved dramatically. Yeah. And I think maybe we can call it half um and everyone positive feedback loop want to invite you to subscribe check out our youtube channel check out our soundcloud itunes and google play we're also on stitcher and of course check out our twitter thank you very much we'll be right back after this awesome commercial break continuing our conversation on events peace Escape the event, the sensation that's hitting the nation. The exit doors aren't marked. The ushers won't let you leave your seat. And there are bottomless refreshments. Will you ever leave? Can you do it in under a day? There are famous speakers in a never-ending line. There are concerts, and the venues are expansive the size of a country. Can you leave? Escape the event this weekend. Okay, everybody. And uh, again, thanks for listening to half the first half. So we're here, we're talking about, me and Steph, we've been talking about, again, Luis is out this episode, unfortunately, but hopefully he enjoys this episode. Anyways, back. 
We started talking about how events are planned, how they are experienced, uh, how in some parts there's technology that enhance uh, events and different kinds of events, concerts and things like that. But it, they're all kind of the same where you have food, everyone is in a, in a place where there's presentations or there's some kind of um, talk and dialogue. So there's kind of this new movement towards breaking the mold of how people have these events. And one example I like to think about are hackathons. Hackathons are basically events where you have a group of people who are interested in working on a project or an idea for a very short amount of time in a really, you know, sprint-based kind of quick, agile way. Um, so you have people come up with ideas. Those ideas are then, you know, kind of voted on by the people. Uh, you get to find people who are interested in pursuing that idea and that project, and you team up with them, usually sharing what kind of skills you currently have. Let's say there's someone who's a good programmer, and then there's somebody who's un, you know, very good with visual design or marketing, um, and there's also someone who's got a good you know, idea that can you know, really disrupt the way that human beings interact and work. So these hackathons are, you know, Interesting because coming out of it, there's lots of variations of ideas. So it's not, you know, you know, we need to fix, you know, a small part of our problems. It's kind of like how do we fix a big problem in a very different and new way. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, and at these events, it, you know, you have your food and you have your like two-day or three-day even series of events. You can even have it in like a couple hours so there's lots of ways to hold a hackathon um, but the general purpose is to really come together with strangers oftentimes and work on a specific idea and then towards the end at the end you usually come up with either a product or prototype that you can display and experiment with on stage uh, if it is like a hackathon where there are prizes so oftentimes the winner or the top um, participants they get funding for their ideas so they can then pursue it uh, as a company. So, you know, it's an interesting concept for an event. I think that it's in a very important way for us to uh, develop new ideas, be more innovative as a society. So I think that's kind of cool. Um, it's interesting because a really cool thing can come out of, you know, a three-hour period, a, a two-hour period. And what's happening now is, there's hackathons that are being put online where people come together and work online instead of even being in one room. I think there are lots of pros in being in one central location where you guys can, can where you can have teams interacting with each other directly uh, in person. However, as we kind of briefly discussed earlier in the podcast, there are technologies that are being introduced to the market, such as VR, which can play a critical role in this new type of event uh, VR hackathons where you can see the person and walk with them. So how would that even look like? Would there be an actual room where some people are and then you'd have like like robot machines with cameras walking around and you can control the robot from far away? Would you have like um, a avatar, a physical avatar body in another place? Have you ever like seen those science fiction series, you know, when you have an avatar that you can get into and live your life, but it'll be your mind in a different person's body or in a different, like, physical structure. I guess there are a lot of, uh, I don't want to say just hackathons, but many events where you get kind of an inkling of that when you do a simple video conference, you know, where people can see, see into the room. Maybe they can't walk around it, but they have cameras set up in the room. So there's like this, this beginning of that where people from different places are able to be there and experience. I think, if, I think we'll go through a few takeaways in this second half of the episode of like how to break the mold for your event. But I think the first takeaway that... I that I would say comes out of hackathons as you describe them is the idea that an event can be a co-creative process 
with those who attend. Right. So it's not just created and managed and controlled by this small set of people and that the attendees just come and passively absorb the knowledge and then they leave, but that somehow it's co-creative in, in the sense that they leverage open innovation for everybody in attendance to actually give of their expertise and their knowledge and their energy and their thought process to enable a solution that that addresses some issue, conflict, or problem in the world. And this breaks the mold not just because open innovation is being used and because it's kind of flipping the model of, of who the audience is, but it's also the takeaway here is also that people want to give. We always think in the traditional sense that an event is something you pay for because you get something out of it. Like I pay really high price for my concert tickets because I want to hear the musicians sing and I want to sit back and enjoy it. But people will actually pay to go somewhere where they will also contribute, which is fascinating. That is true, but I think... Oftentimes, actually, with hackathons, there are incentives to you know either win a competition. It is yeah, also a competition. There's some prize, and there's also food so that they, you know, get. They say, yes, hey, and come work on this, and we will give you unlimited pizza or whatever. Yeah, and there's a lot of planning too. So those guys, the people that do host hackathons do have considerable planning to do, mm-hmm. uh, especially if it's a multi-day event, and especially because they're managing people's. You know, when you're managing competition. There's always some level of structure that's needed. So that's uh, an important aspect of it that we should like be grateful for that they're doing that. But it's it's good because it's all sponsored and incentivized by like corporations almost, bigger, bigger entities. Because now what we're realizing is the way that we've structured corporations and um, siloed information, it's caused like groupthink to be very common that's why you have a lot of like small teams and big companies now that don't you know there's also a lot of like cross uh platform or cross like training that's going on so people understand different parts of companies but still the same company so people aren't as open-minded you can argue you know let's say you took someone from because there's all like processes that they follow so all that structure within those corporations you get used to when there's different ways, completely different ways of doing things, different processes and procedures and, you know, documents, training documents, different types of training. So all these things uh, impact how a person or how groups of people might see the world and how might they think about work, you know, what is work to them is going to be different. So we should be mixing up people's um how people think about work. People think about work in many different ways. Um, some see it as doing a repetitive task many times. Some see it as a creative outlet. Some see it as a way to win against the competition. So there's different like um, aspects to it. Mm-hmm. Different motivations, different incentives, different liabilities. Like what, how, what do you want to sacrifice? Do you want to sacrifice um, relationships? Do you want to make your sales number as high as it can be under any circumstance like there's many work ethics so what's cool about hackathons is people go into it with whatever work ethic that they have and they only have like a day or a couple days or a couple hours to really produce something so you get like really interesting you know ideas coming out of it but what I, what I would like to see, potentially, is having companies hold hackathons as a common occurrence. This will happen, I think, more frequently um, when we outsource a lot of the menial tasks that we currently do. And a lot of the things that are time-consuming can be programmed mm-hmm. and automated. So I think of that as a great opportunity for people to be more idea driven and project focused and like getting things um more valuable to their consumers 
or to themselves or to their community. I mean, you know? something you bring up is with the hackathon uh, is the the propensity of human relationships to look for ways to problem solve. So when people get together, some people get together and just relax. I mean, maybe they have hot chocolate together and just veg on the porch and people watch, you know. But there are a lot of people who get together to have a common challenge. And an event that I'm thinking of that really had never been thought of before but totally breaks the mold of what, you know, hanging out with friends means is this new fad, Escape the Room. I guess it's not that new, but it's newish. And Escape the Room is now a business that's been kind of taken on by many different groups where they rent out office space and then in each of the offices they actually build a whole uh, puzzle where they have books in the room and artifacts and furniture and paintings on the wall and just set up like a normal whatever it is, a bedroom, an office, a whatever space it might be, but there are clues hidden everywhere and you're led from one clue to the next to the next to the next and the whole group goes in. So you pay, let's say, $20 a head for you and your six friends and you all go into this room and then you're locked in the room and you have to find all the clues and go from clue to clue until you can get out of the room and you have an hour to do so. And this is something that people pay to do, (laughs) to be locked in a room, (laughs) to figure out the clues, to escape the room. But this comes from the idea of people getting together to play board games. And there are even national events where people get together to around the idea of board games, you know, and you even have this with related industries like Comic-Con and, you know, the idea that uh, entertainment uh, is is something to come around. But it's not just entertainment. It's like it's like entertainment that that requires work. I mean, playing a strategic board game requires so much focus and strategy and work and thought. And the same thing goes into people who go, I mean, a subset of people who go to Comic-Con, for example, and they discuss the physics of Thor and could he really, with his hammer, do X, Y, and Z, you know, and they get so involved intellectually in these events. Now, I, I bring this up because there are increasing number of an events like this, like hackathons, like Escape the Room, uh, these different get-togethers where people, for some reason, their social outlet is the work hard, play hard philosophy. You know, instead of I work hard and then I do nothing and relax and, and Netflix and chill, it's like these people who work hard and then after work they go work hard again at something else <laughs> with their friends, right? So what is it about well, yeah, the emergence of it. events that, that take work on the part of the audience? And does that well, break I mean, the mold? It's about, I mean, it's all about if you're, if you're enjoying it. And I think if they do sincerely enjoy what they're doing, then yeah, like that makes the most sense and we should do it more often. That's how I see it. Uh, I think that we are going that direction. Um, So I'm just really interested to see how we'll be doing it when like the whole like video, VR, augmented reality, environmental interfaces come into play. Well, I think people always think of VR and AR as it's a way to bring people together across the world who can't be there geographically. And that's always the go-to answer, that that's what maybe VR solves. You know, that like you mentioned, that I'll need to have an avatar there or some way to participate. But I think a lot of people who are using VR and AR are not just using it to be present in another place. They're actually using it with each other in the same place that there are more uses for VR and AR in events, for virtual reality or augmented reality in event contexts than just being geographically dispersed. That's true. You can be like, you know, on a roller coaster in the same like little seating area in the same room. Everyone puts on their VR headset and you'll all like, you'll hear the other people screaming which are organic sounds, not virtual sounds, which will be yeah. kind of cool. However, there is some scene. vulnerability. 
there is a little bit of vulnerability there because when yeah. you put on those headsets, you can't see. That's where augmented reality becomes more um, of a, you know, it will feel less vulnerable if you're wearing augmented reality right. as opposed to VR. Well, and imagine that you, you know. all have, let's say you and I have AR headsets on. And so we're in the room, we can see each other because it's just augmented reality. We don't, we're not blinded from our present situ- situation or context. But our headsets are linked so that when I see a virtual animal in the room that you and I are both in physically, you see the same virtual animal in the same place. In this sense, we're in the same place. We're not being transported to another place either. Uh, we are in the same room, but that room for both of us is being augmented in a way that we can both play some sort of game or have some sort of experience that has Imagine a shared augmented reality. Escape the room in VR. You can see different things, but each person can see like one extra clue oh, thing that no one else can, yeah. and then you have to communicate that I think you just other. like started a new industry. <laughs> <laughs> you better, you better uh, yeah, market it's that. Funny. <laughs> Make it's it not about the idea. It's all about the execution. And <laughs> I don't think I have the bandwidth. But, <laughs> um, but that's, So I encourage that entrepreneur to take my idea and run with it. Go. Do it. Right. Escape the room of VR. But I mean the takeaway for that, for people who want to really break the mold with their events or really get out of, you know, it's not just – well, then use augmented reality. But it's really to say, how can you have two people who have a shared experience at your event also see and experience different things? Like imagine if your VIP attendees versus the, the free pass attendees. Maybe it's a public event. It's free, but there are certain things for VIPs who pay money. Uh, what if they see different things and experience different things that are hidden to the the viewer right now people do or, that or by maybe, just making or, workshops that are accessible to some and not right but how can we or even you can you can have the same movie but in the different versions might show different things like what if yeah. it's uh an r-rated movie versus a pg-13 rated movie and it'll be i guess they already do that but what i'm saying is you can that's super interesting um, like you have adults and children in the same room they have the same headsets and maybe the dialogue is the same but maybe it appears differently like like there could be screaming in the movie but the in the pg eyeglasses they're screaming because they're going down a roller coaster like you know your example and then but the other people are hearing the screaming but seeing people attacked by a dinosaur you know it could be a completely different uh visual script too could be kind of creepy because they could be like you know, targeting like different messages for the different oh, groups yeah. of people. That could be so yeah. interesting. I mean, what if you did uh, c- consumer targeting with the the purchasing data they had, and so you could have certain ads appear? So you're both, so you and I are both watching the same movie, let's say, right? Okay. But there's an ad placement. There's a cereal box on the fridge in the movie. And that cereal box appears as Cheerios for me, but it appears as Fruit Loops for you because right, they know yeah. that I like certain cere- types of cereal, but you like other certain types. And they want to make sure that you know they have we customer buy. retention or whatever it is, or they want to increase customer trial of certain cereals. I mean, you could go, you could really target that way. Now, what's it's interesting? Hyper targeting. It's hyper targeting. Now, what's really interesting is that there's other there are other types of events that have to somehow make sure they're relevant to every audience. So it's almost the opposite. So now what I'm thinking of is Facebook Live events. So you host mm-hmm. a Facebook Live event. It's you're on video, you're live, and you're interacting with people who are watching as you are recording. So there's no watching after it's done and processing it. You are recording live. They are watching live. They're asking you questions. You're answering the questions, right? In this sense, you can't be super specific because you know there are so many people watching at the same time. So you can't pitch the video or show different, you know, different parts of the video to different audiences um, like you can with static video that's produced after the fact. And not only that, you also have to show that video after the fact anyway because you record a live event 
And then that live event will go up on your Facebook page if you choose to let it go up as a video that lives on. So you're recording for a live audience, engaging with them, and yet making it accessible and relevant to the the other thousands of people who may view it after you're done recording. And so you have to somehow engage with both audiences asynchronously so that they both feel valuable and present in that event. I mean, that's incredibly difficult. So the takeaway here is that you can either hyper-target with technology or technology makes it so that you have to find some way to be relevant to all audiences at the same time. That's complicated. Well, it's really interesting. It's really complicated. And, and I mean, it's kind of strange. Now I'm starting to think that there is no such thing as an event anymore because everything kind of – some parts of the event will always get carried on. But thousands of years ago, an event was literally like you go to see someone like a play or someone act something out or like the town center where someone's – you know, there's a four-minute show or I don't know how it really worked back then. There's a there's entertainers, right? But that doesn't get recorded. So once it's happened, once people see it, it's done. It like moves. It's only existing in their memories. The only place of existence of that is their memories. Now we have artifacts, really good artifacts, video artifacts, soon to be VR artifacts, that is retelling the story of time over and over again. And that's changing the way I think we view events. I mean, it changed the way I view events during this conversation, I think. It's really... Mm-hmm. And we think of an event as like an occurrence. Like we're... Yeah, like you, to go beyond, you, you know, events as, yeah. as like big conferences and stuff. Like an event, you know, the definition so, of an event is like something that happens. A moment. Yeah. A and moment. I, it's, 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 I agree. So this is a very But there's no moment. Like you said, it lives on. But even even smaller, you have just a computer that runs. When a computer runs, there's a lot different like um, executables and um, like programs that are run simultaneously, and they all contain event logs. Every moment, every milli millisecond, basically is logged. Um, there's logs of everything. <laughs> And it's called event logs. Like literally, there are files called event logs. So we are doing this at a more. We're just doing this all the time. We're recording every single event possible, and I think that we are in a simulation because <laughs> I have lost track. How is this possible? If every event is recorded, then every future event can be simulated. We haven't gotten to the point of, of doing that yet, but I think that if we start to, you know, if every cell in our, in our body is able to produce digital data and is collected by some thing, we're starting to, and every like atom in the universe becomes, you know, digital recordable data. And I think we're way, way too early for that. That's kind of like advanced technology. I can't even really fully imagine but the point is then we would just literally be a simulation we would just be um a series of events that we can perceive with our series of occurrences i think it's really interesting that you bring up event logs because up until now in this episode we've been talking about events as like these standalone occurrences like an event happens by itself completely siloed but in computer programming there are event loops and you can send a protocol you can send a message to your computer and an event occurs which then initiates another event and you have events that are actually linked to each other that one causes the next, causes the next, like a chain reaction, uh, where you ha- an event can only happen if you if you send if there's incoming and outgoing messages, if there's some sort of dialogue, I guess. And when an event is created, it's seen as an initiation of something, 
right? We all, I guess the way we talk about events in yeah. culture is like an event is something that happens. It's like the culmination of all our planning and, and everything we do. And, and then the event happens. It's the end of it all. But in computer science, an event is kind of the initiation of, of a process. And it's so a it's a trigger in many ways. And so, it, not all, yeah. So, you know, it's an what event. if <laughs> events, what if conferences and hackathons and co- concerts with the Blue Man Group, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, whatever event you're attending, your Christmas party, if we see it as an initiation, I think commencement is that idea, like in universities where commencement is. Uh, graduation is seen as a beginning, not an end, which is, seems totally paradoxical in most people's minds still, even when it's called commencement. But it's like, here, here you are at the beginning of the rest of your life. But if we saw events that way instead of as a culmination, wow, that would change business. That would change the way can we interact s- with others. Can you say it again? Like, I, I want to get it and I want our audience to also understand it. I think that's important. So you mean, how will our way of thinking have to change to be in accordance with the the way that you're talking about? Yeah, well, I mean, imagine if you started to hold events that you didn't plan, that you had the goal, and you brought a bunch of people together and said, here's the goal, how should we execute this? And the event is actually the planning of planned that. Planned by the like so planned by the yeah. people you bring together. So imagine if I said to people, instead of saying, I'm going to have a Christmas party, and the goal of this Christmas party you is just, sure you just thought of, on, you know. Well, you just thought of, you literally just described um, Burning Man. <laughs> Burning Man is sort of like that, where you yeah. have the people who are part Creators. of the community of, the, of yeah. Burning Man. They make everything. They provide. Um, they, they produce they create their own city in a way. So that is one hell of an event. There's also event, no and vision I for it necessarily. I have like yet necessarily. to go, unfortunately. Right. I hope if, so, if someone out there who is like a Burning Man um, person, if, if you are a, a burner, appreciate appreciate the event. It's, it's very important. The time that you're there with those people, fantastic. Or I imagine so, at least. <laughs> well, the people who attend Burning Man make it what they want out of it. It's not like there's so much of a program to it. I mean, the city that's temporarily put up somewhere near Reno, it has main principles. So it has like radical inclusion, self-reliance, self-expression, community co- cooperation, civic responsibility, gifting, decommodification all of these are principles but they don't have a program they don't say and at 10 o'clock you will attend your anti-commodification workshop (laughs) right it's it's that people show up and almost create just based on the principles the event comes to life and all that they had to start off with were the principles i mean that is an event i think you brought up one of the best examples of yeah of an event that that's literally starts it's a community built event and yeah yeah i am just very uh, impressed how we took this conversation from talking about events and what they are to us now and what they used to be to us and how technology might have changed it and then we got into the conversation of how holding events live and then letting it go through time digitally. Um, and then that came, uh, then came the introduction of simulations and how we think we might be in a simulation because how every event is being logged and eventually or potentially in the future, we might realize that literally every subatomic interaction is logged in some sort of cosmic chain of events um but that's that, that then then i think what was more interesting is we started thinking about the community and burning man and how people can build events 
from themselves and it's not about the planning and the other people you, you can find a way to organize and be human and then just create these events it's important i think that we shouldn't lose focus of connecting with other people no matter how technology changes and with that i'd like to end it thank you everyone uh, for listening again you should subscribe if you liked our channel um if you like this episode, let us know. Send us your feedback. Send us your comments. We're always interested in listening to what you have to say. Um, we really appreciate you listening. Thank you. Um, and, yeah, again, positive feedback loop. As always, Stephanie, let's do it. Stay, Stay crazy. crazy.